Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Another edition of March Madness 365. On this edition of our show, I'll be joined by a couple of members of the Marquette Athletic Department, their head coach, Steve Wojciechowski, the men's basketball program, and Deputy Athletic Director Mike Broker, because I want to discuss their new arena and scheduling, as well, of course, the Golden Eagles. Marcus Howard, one of my top 20 returning players coming into next season. And then new Rhode Island head coach David Cox taking over for Dan Hurley, who went on to UConn. Not just about taking over for Hurley uh, with the Rams, but also uh, the scheduling difficulties that he had to go through. So scheduling at this time of the year, it's almost like a third season in college basketball. And I wanted to take a look at these couple programs as well as a couple others. Nevada, which was supposed to play a game against Rhode Island. You'll hear David Cox discuss that. Instead, canceled that series paid the buyout in that home-and-home and and did not return the game, despite that game really helping the Wolfpack get into the NCAA tournament last year when they beat Rhode Island in Reno last year. So their schedule is good. BYU and Pacific, Arkansas, Little Rock, they'll play Tulsa. They maybe will play the winner of Southern Illinois, UMass, or the loser, depending on what happens in that Tulsa game. They're at Loyola Chicago in the Mountain West Conference Missouri Valley Tournament uh, Challenge, I should say, in the Missouri Valley Mountain West Conference Challenge. They're at USC. They've got Arizona State at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. They've got Grand Canyon in Phoenix. They've got South Dakota State coming in, Akron coming in, and they're at Utah. Uh, so there's good opportunities. Uh, certainly, they've got a chance to play a couple of NCAA tournament teams. We'll have to wait and see. It's not a great schedule in terms of loaded with teams that are going to be in the NCAA tournament, teams that might be in the NCAA tournament. That was what happened in Nevada last season. It's not easy to get games when you're Nevada, especially when you're picked to be somewhere in the top 10. In the preseason, you've got guys coming back from the NBA draft like Caleb and Cody Martin and Jordan Caroline. So uh, a tough call for the Wolfpack. I just wasn't thrilled the way they handled uh, getting out of that URI game because it was a situation where Nevada needed that game last year. But what I found out from David Cox, you'll hear, is what they did with that game that was supposed to be a Nevada home game. They did replace it pretty well. So I think you'll uh, you'll find out how they replaced that game. And then they were supposed to get an Alabama game at home, URI, that was put off for another year. And they got a good game out of that in replacing that on their schedule. Um, you'll hear Marquette's schedule, which is definitely loaded. I want you to hear that in great detail. Mississippi State was a team that made it to the NIT uh, Final Four. Uh, a team that was a couple games maybe shy being the NCAA tournament. So what did Ben Howland do with his schedule? He's got Clemson in a game in New Jersey, Arizona State in Vegas, uh, where they'll play either St. Mary's or Utah State in the other game. They're at Dayton, which will be dicey. There's no question about that. they got Cincinnati at home. That's a great game. BYU at home. 
They're not in the SEC Big 12 Challenge because this was set up two years ago when they weren't in the top 10, so they miss out on that opportunity. Also have Wofford at home, a team that knocked off North Carolina on the road, Wright State and Jackson, a team in Wright State's not too bad, and Long Beach out of the Big West. So definitely some opportunities for Mississippi State, especially the, the Clemson game on a neutral court, Cincinnati at home, at Dayton, BYU, where they could get some power rating points that will help them before the SEC. The other school that uh, I want to end with in terms of this that's really struggling right now to get games. And if you're out there listening and you're a school and you've still got a couple games, please, please go play Loyola Chicago. Does everyone remember Sister Jean and the Ramblers? They were in the Final Four. They deserve to have a much better schedule. But Porter Moser telling me how difficult it's been for the Ramblers to get games despite winning uh, as much as they did and getting into the Final Four because teams are essentially afraid to play them, not thinking that they're going to get much out of it. Well, I can tell you right now, playing Loyola of Chicago will be a great game for you. You will improve your power rating. It's a team that could win the Valley again, get into the NCAA tournament. They've got three starters back, if I'm not mistaken, and they've got a team that could certainly go far in the NCAA tournament. So what does Loyola have right now? Well, they thought they were going to play Mississippi State for the second time since 1963, that famous game, the change game. But Mississippi State and the organizers ended up going Clemson over Loyola. So that was out. Now they're trying to finalize the game with Maryland and Baltimore. Uh, not really a neutral court, obviously near uh, Maryland's campus. But that would be a great game for Loyola if, if that can get finalized. They've got Nevada in that Mountain West Conference, Missouri Valley Challenge. So that's a great home game for them. They were in a tournament that basically didn't have an NCAA tournament team, sort of a lower major tournament in the Bahamas. They got out of that, paid a buyout. And now in an intersport sponsored tournament where they'll play Richmond and Fort Myers and play the winner or loser of BC Wyoming. So if they get Boston College, a team that I think will have a decent power rating, you know, that would be good. But once again, not a guaranteed team from the NCAA tournament among that group. They've got UMKC at home, Norfolk State. They're at UIC. They're going to have to play a D2. They still need two more. They need more quality games before they get to the Valley. And Porter Moser thinks they're, you know, the Valley would be pretty decent. With Illinois State, Southern Illinois all having their starters back, Bradley having seven of their top eight back, but could be still a reach that those teams would be certainly anywhere near the top 25 the way Loyola should be. Uh, I've got them in my top 25, my power 36, but they need more quality games. He would play anyone, anywhere. He'd love to get another home game in Chicago. Uh, That doesn't seem like it's going to happen. I do think the city of Chicago, in terms of the teams, Northwestern and Evanston, DePaul, UIC and Loyola, all in Chicago. They should really get together and play some sort of classic like the Crossroads Classic where you've got Purdue, Butler, Notre Dame, and Indiana. And in, in Indiana, you get the Big Five, of course, in Philly. Um, with those five schools, sometimes Drexel gets in the mix, but the Big Five obviously doesn't include them. But I think those four Chicago area, Chicagoland schools should get together on a regular basis, be good for the city. Uh, if UIC can continue to get better, DePaul coming out of the Big East, Northwestern certainly has turned its program around under Chris Collins. I mean, there it would be a great doubleheader, if you will, for the city of Chicago's college basketball fans sometime in December, maybe around that finals period, or you know, certainly uh, you know around the Christmas time uh, when the students aren't around. So you've got you know the local fan base that certainly would come out for an event like that. So scheduling very difficult. And Loyola is a perfect example of that, where despite their great run, they can't get people to play them. And uh, Porter Moser is seeing it play out despite all the success they had in the NCAA tournament and getting to the Final Four last April. All right, let's get to our guests here on March Madness 365. 
And now join me here on March Madness 365. New Rhode Island head coach David Cox takes over for Dan Hurley, who went on to be the head coach at UConn. And David's not new to the University of Rhode Island. He was the assistant coach to Dan Hurley. And and David, um, they had to go through the process in Kingston, but I'm sure as a top assistant, uh, you're nervous. Uh, what was that process like for you? Sure. No, there was a, a high level of anxiety, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. And to be perfectly honest, I mean, again, it was, uh, it was a situation where I had tremendous confidence in this administration here. They've been nothing but supportive of, of myself personally and of the uh, program since I've been here. And, and Danny, on the way out, you know, spoke uh, tremendously about me and, and gave me a tremendous amount of support. So, you know, they gave me tremendous confidence. But just the anxiety level was heightened because, again, Andy, I've been coaching for over 20 years. This was a dream of mine. You know, I'd always dreamed of taking over Division One program. And, uh, you know, it's been a heck of a run for the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed every minute of it. And when this opportunity, you know, started to come to fruition, you know, absolutely. You know, it was, uh, uh, there was, a, again, a tremendous amount of anxiety. And uh, I went through the process and, uh, you know, it turned out uh, very well for me. So you guys had incredible success there over the last couple of years, winning the A-10, back-to-back NCAA tournaments, winning a game each of the last two seasons, you know, being very competitive in both of those second-round games to Oregon the year before. You guys were right there to beat the Ducks in this past season against Duke. Duke ended up pulling away in the latter part, of, certainly of the second half, a Duke team that was one shot away from going to the Final Four in a loss to Kansas. But there's going to be some transition, and uh, you know you losing sort of some you know some key veteran guys that were part of building that program to where it has been a regular atop the A10 over the last couple of seasons. So as you take over this job, what are some of the keys to you maintaining that momentum that you guys have built? Well, obviously we have to continue to recruit at a high level, and uh, we were able to do that you know uh, last year. We brought in really you know four talented freshmen who will. Uh, will have an impact on this on this year's team and, uh, you know, bringing back those veterans, you know, we'll, we'll have a chance. And as you mentioned, it's going to take a little bit of a hit this year, obviously, without those five seniors, and it's going to take a little bit of a while to, uh, to get things together and get a, get to get a cohesive unit. But I think we'll get there. And you ask me, again, what that's going to take right now, the culture that, that was established here, you know, by Danny, honestly, is the foundation of it all. It's the reason why, again, we recruited talented players. And, yes, you know, I think we did a heck of a job, you know, with scouting and developing. But just the, the, the culture here and the culture of toughness, you know, the culture of, of working, working hard, you know, uh, competitiveness, you know, that culture exists. And I have to maintain that. And uh, uh, the current players have to, you know, make sure that that's maintained and, and that these incoming guys join that culture and embrace that, that particular culture. And while we're continuing to grow and mesh together as a you know, somewhat of a new unit, again, after losing five guys, you know, hopefully the culture will sustain us. And, and again, that's going to be, uh, you know, my, my job, you know, obviously initially, particularly this summer as we're uh, in the gym working out. Yeah, Fats Russell's one of those freshmen that uh, played last season who I, I just fell in love with. I thought, uh, you know, his ability to get from one end to the other, his energy came off the bench with, and now he'll take on much more of a leadership role as a sophomore. You know, when you are going through this process and clearly you've got a great relationship with the current players. What was your selling point as to why you were ready to take over this job, you know, at this juncture in your career and for the program? Well, as I mentioned, again, I've been coaching for over 20 years. I coached at every level, you know, I coached uh, initially at high school as a, a freshman coach at Archbishop Carroll High School. And I coached some AAU basketball for about eight years in the DC area before even jumping into college, you know, where I've coached four different programs over the past 12 years. So I've, I've just gained a lot of experience. I've coached, you know, for a lot of great head coaches and with 
a lot of great assistant coaches. And then particularly, you know, I guess the, the, the main part of the selling point was just this last four years. I've been there. You know, I completed my fourth season, you know, last just last year. And during that four years, we've been on a, you know, a heck of a run. You know, we won over 90 games. The last two years, we won over 50 games. And as you mentioned, two Atlanta 10 championships, as well as uh, wins in the NCAA tournament, you know, appearances in the round of 32. So, you know, I was I was a part of that culture that I mentioned and a, a part of uh, building this team. And I think the um, administration and the, the players, certainly, and, uh, and, and again, some of the supporters of the basketball program recognize that. You know, it's always interesting when they go with a top assistant to replace a coach who moves on. You guys all have to get an opportunity at some point, and it doesn't always have to be, you know, somewhere else. And we just saw this recently, obviously, at Xavier. Chris Mack goes to Louisville. Uh, Travis Steele being bumped up. You can go back to whether it's Jamie Dixon to Ben Howland at Pitt or Tom Izzo to Judd Heathcote at Michigan State. You know, from Dan Munson to Mark Few at Gonzaga, there's plenty of great examples where it's been, been a huge success. What is it about, though, your ability to you know, recruit in this area in New England, you know, up and down the East Coast. Your familiarity now with the URI program, what makes that athletic department tick that you think you're also a great fit right now for this program? Well, again, being, being a part of it and uh, being a part of this particular women's tradition, you know, I, now I'm able to, uh, again, being able to sell this program for the last four years under Coach Hurley was honestly, uh, it was a pleasure, <laughs> you know, and uh, it was something that we did together we went out there and um you know again we tried to attract some of the better talent in, in this country you know not just good talent for this particular level but you know attractive for big time programs in this country and we were able to get that and we were able to win and now i'm selling the fact that again we've got a strong culture here we've been able to recruit at the highest level and we are a championship caliber you know we are top 25 top 35 you know caliber program now year in and year out and um you know come on and join that this, this type of program as we as we start uh, sort of, uh, you know, make our run a little bit here. I mean, again, we would like to be one day, you know, similar to a, uh, a program like a, a Gonzaga, you know, and that's a lofty, lofty goal. And we're obviously only at the beginning of those uh, of this stage. But uh, at the same time, you know, that's, that's the type of program that we would like to, uh, uh, that we're emulating right now. Well, and I'll tell you, you know, when a program like URI has this kind of success, uh, I, I mean, I personally think it's incumbent upon the administration to support the next coach, uh, especially someone who they hire within, you know, with some of the amenities and the things that they want to, you know, do to keep it going at a high level, whether that's, you know, the budget, how you travel, uh, practice facility, you know, guarantee games. What has been because there was a lot of chatter about that obviously you know when 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 Danny was mulling whether or not he was going to stay or go to UConn what could we see or what do, what do you know is going to happen that that might uh, help the program going forward now that you're the head coach that you guys can continue the, that momentum of the last couple of years sure well, well one thing I, I can certainly tell you is this during the four years I've been here, Andy, this this administration has has been you know outstanding uh, in regards to their support of this program and bringing us all the things that we needed to get this program to where it is. And, and, and I do expect that they will continue to support, you know, me as the head coach and this program and these kids moving forward. We've had only, you know, uh, a couple of preliminary talks about the future at this point. Again, it's been a, uh, a transition period for us all. Uh, there's been a lot going on with, uh, you know, with the players and with the recruiting period and, and getting other assistant coaches. So we haven't had, you know, necessarily time to sit down and talk in depth 
about those things. But we've had some preliminary talks, and from what I gather from the administration is that they are looking to do, you know, all that they can to support this program. All right, so there's no news on, like, the practice facility or anything like that? Well, yes, practice facility was uh, was definitely part of the preliminary conversation. But as to, you know, specifics about, you know, exactly when we're going to be breaking ground and, and things of that nature, I couldn't tell you at the, as of right now. All right, so on the court, we know, you know, the defensive effort, the aggressive style, um, you know, that you guys have been able to uh, deploy over the last couple of years. Uh, I mentioned I mentioned Fats Russell. What will next season's team look like? And if I can sort of double barrel this here, uh, who should we look forward to that could end up being those those next man up kind of guys for the Rams next season? Sure. Well, there will be a lot of similarities in the style of play uh, because it's uh, again it's part of the culture and it's something that's worked. When I again when I talk about the basketball uh, portion of the culture, I'm talking about. Uh, you know, the pace, the intensity, and the competitiveness, you know, of us every day in practice and how that translates to our competitive nature during basketball games and the pace and intensity in which we play in actual games. So that that will be very similar, particularly on the defensive end. You know, again, we're a team that likes to get up into our offensive players to dictate, uh, um, to be a, a physical, you know, bunch, and we will, we will continue to do that. On the offensive end, I do suspect just based on the way this team's kind of uh, – formulated, at least as of right now, that we'll probably be a little bit more free-flowing, a little bit less dependent on the half court and on uh, on sets, and you know, hopefully we'll get up and down, you know, a, a little bit more. And, and that could be also a slight change, you know, could be called for defensively in regards to pressing and tracking a, a, a little bit more to try to get some of those possessions and get us up-tempo. So there'll be some slight changes, you know, that, that I think you'll see. And as far as, you know, guys that, uh, you know, will need to make a jump because their roles will change in order for us to, uh, you know, stay at the top of the league, you know, we'll need, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, we'll need Fats to, uh, to to make a jump. You know, he played about 20 minutes a game last year, playing behind a number of a number of upperclassmen. So now he'll get his opportunity to be on the floor, you know, for uh, extended minutes, and uh, he'll get every opportunity to uh, make an impact, particularly on the offensive end, as we know he can be very effective out in the open court. You know, he's got great range, and uh, he'll be uh, on the ball more, so he'll be able to, uh, you know, get the paint and, and, and be a lot, uh, be very creative for everybody, for himself and for others. You know, Jeff Dowden obviously coming back is, is, is a huge piece for us. He's been a part of two, you know, championships now, uh, uh, two years here. You know, he's been he's been starting. And, uh, you know, obviously everybody talks about Jeff and his uh, assist turnover ratio, you know, which was third in the country uh, last year. And he's a guy that whose role, again, will also need to change because he's going to need to be a little bit more aggressive on the offensive end with his shot attempts, field goal attempts. And he's been working on that throughout the summer. And uh, I think uh, particularly Rody Nation would be pleasantly surprised when they see the, the new version of uh, Jeff Dalton this year. Uh, another returner, Cyril you know, Langevin, our returning center, is going to, you know, again, going to have to make a, a big jump. He, he finished strong last season toward, you know, the tail end of the season. And um, uh, he's played uh, well in the NCAA tournament games uh, for the last two seasons. So, again, we expect him now with extended minutes to really, you know, kind of help us uh, with uh, both the rebounding and, and the points. Those three guys right there in particular, you know, are going to, uh, are going to be really very – are going to indicate, you know, where we're, where we're heading this year, uh, depending on their production. And, David, before I let you go, you guys had a great atmosphere at the Ryan Center. Uh, the schedule – and this is always, I find, fascinating of what a new coach does with the schedule, especially when there's a little bit of retooling going on with the roster. Now, it was a little bit, you, you dealt with a couple curveballs. Nevada, you played them last season. That game against Nevada basically 
help Nevada get into the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's a game E.C. Matthews got hurt in. Nevada beats you guys. You guys end up, end up having a great season. That helps the Wolfpack ultimately. That was their best non-conference win. Helps them get in the NCAA tournament. They end up not returning the game next season. They're buying out that part. They made this decision to go in another direction, exercising the option in the contract. A lot of people don't ever use that part of the contract. They did. So you lose that home game. Alabama, another return game, was supposed to be in Rhode Island next season. They have at least, from what I understand, put that off a year. So the home schedule has changed. What else is on there, and, and how do you how do you feel about the way, you know, at least the timing of losing those two home games for next season? Well, the Nevada game is uh, obviously was uh... – a bit of a blow to us, a disappointing blow. But as you mentioned, you know, it was in the contract and they were allowed to exercise this option and, and coach for, you know, for his own reasons, for reasons, you know, for his program, but not for his program, which he's supposed to do. He made that decision. So, again, I, there's, you know, not much that, uh, actually not anything that I can do about that. So we, we quickly replaced that game with, you know, potentially a top 25 game in Harvard. You know, they're expected, obviously, to be a very, very good team this year. So we're excited about them coming to the Lions Center. And the Alabama game was actually mutual. That Alabama game was pushed off for one year, uh, and that was a mutual decision. They were actually um, helping us play the University of West Virginia this year at Mohegan Sun. So in allowing us to schedule that game, uh, just as a mutual decision to push that game off by one year. So with that, with that being the case, you know, we still feel, you know, very good about about our non-conference schedule, particularly with, you know, the team that we have um, going into this particular season. All right, so Harvard at home, West Virginia, the Mohegan Sun, what else do you have? That's correct. So we'll, we'll play um, at Charleston this year. Uh, we have uh, Stony Brook at home, at Holy Cross, uh, at Brown. We'll be at, I think I mentioned that, at Providence. Uh, then we have the MTE, uh, the Diamond Head Classic in Hawaii. I believe that would be uh, TCU, UNLV. I can't think of uh, what the other. Oh, yeah, no, no, it's a good field. Yeah, what the other team would be there. Well, no, so, I mean, obviously you've still got some opportunities there that if you're in position, you know, that you can look back if you can be successful in the non-conference, you know, that'll help you guys and the A-10 ultimately. And I think that's a great save in getting Harvard to replace Nevada because, you know, Harvard will be probably picked to win the Ivy, and they may have one of their better teams that they've had in the last couple of seasons. So um, that's correct. We were also able to uh, we were also able to schedule uh, Middle Tennessee State uh, a little bit later. So we have them in December. Middle Tennessee, you said? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, always a good, obviously, opponent. They've uh, been highly successful in Conference USA. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's interesting how you get thrown these curveballs and then uh, scheduling is like its own, its own uh, season, if you will, and trying to figure all that out. David, I'm thrilled for you. This is great. Uh, you know, for you, for your career, for your family. Uh, and, uh, you know, I fully expect you to keep that uh, Rhode Island tradition of winning that has been uh, new to the Rams and here in the Ocean State, uh, uh, where I frequent quite often. Uh, you know, certainly it should be a, uh, a good news all around for those fans of URI. Appreciate you taking some time. Andy, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, we'll definitely have to catch up while we're in Rhode Island together. Okay. Thanks, David. All right. Take care. Coming up here on March Madness 365, Marquette Deputy Athletic Director Mike Broker. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Deputy Athletic Director from Marquette, Mike Broker, who is well-versed in all things scheduling, arenas, and putting together certainly uh, what could be one of the better schedules for the Marquette Golden Eagles. Uh but let's go back to what this arena will do for Marquette, obviously for the Milwaukee Bucks and the city of Milwaukee. You know, the Bradley Center 
Mike was, you know, at a, in its day, one of the newer facilities and a great facility at that time for Milwaukee and for those two teams, one a franchise, one a university. Why do you think there was such a need to, you know, go in a new direction with a new arena uh, at this juncture? Yeah, I mean, it was a need to, if we wanted to keep our professional, NBA, you know, keep our NBA program in town. So, you know, for us, it was an easy follow. You know, it was an easy, easy, easy building to get behind and support. Certainly, we saw great value from being a teammate with an NBA franchise for over the course of 30 years and how their growth helped our growth. And so when the time came to to go public and support that project we did it in earnest and you know i think what's happening around the bucks now and if you're in the city and you see it and you see the excitement it's hard not to it's hard not to to get behind that and we've seen it around our program and, and you know your question at the top of it what does it mean to our program i mean we'll play in the best building in the world starting in november uh kids we've brought through that program season ticket members of ours who have been through the building it's unlike anything there's no comparable in this market that's kind of that's the language we use you know we played in a great facility it was run by great people and we had an unbelievable 30-year relationship with them but the fact of the matter is the building was built for hockey this building is built for basketball so sight lines and bowl configuration more lower bowl seats uh, better angles on corner seats. The entire experience is going to change for market basketball fans. So we're we're excited. So I've talked for many years with uh, when the Big East, you know, was going through when it was bigger, uh, you know, when it had so many pro arenas to deal with in terms of scheduling. You know, there are still pro arenas in the Big East, obviously, uh, not as many with the newer members, but. How has that been a sort of a dynamic that you've had to deal with in terms of getting the dates you want around an NBA franchise? Yeah, it's a challenge, right? I mean, uh, you know, I would tell people all the time, we have to schedule in the dates we have. We don't have a blank calendar to work into. So, you know, if we're looking for nine to 11 non-conference games, we're doing that over 13 available dates. And so it makes it hard at times. It, make it, it makes it challenging. Sometimes you have to take the opponents you can find. Other times you work harder to find dates for opponents. Um, you know, we just don't have that luxury of, of scheduling into a calendar uh, as we wish. You know, we work in probably about a two-year cycle in November, December. So, you know, currently we're talking or I'm talking with the building's general manager about next November and December, and I'll send him dates for the following November and December. It's that important to us. You know, home games drive revenue. Men's basketball is the single biggest and really the only revenue producer we have. So, it, you know, it's incumbent upon us to put together a schedule that reflects all those realities do it in small windows and it is a challenge but um we've had great partners at the bradley center and new bucks ownership and leadership at the new building has been great partners so uh we don't i don't expect anything to change there for us but how do you work that where the nba schedule is going to come out you know obviously uh late over, this year right, but but, yeah. but i mean a lot you know it's not coming out in uh the early part of the summer at the earliest it's later in the summer so you have to schedule home and homes. I'm talking about the non-conference games much earlier than that. So how do you work around sort of not knowing, you know, when the Bucks will be home in late October, November, December? Well, we were able to. Protect. Well, actually, October is not an issue in November, December. We'll be able to protect dates. Well, we can protect dates. So we have some dates protected for next year already, and so we'll work. We'll work ahead on the higher-profile games to get those slotted as early as possible. So when we do a home-and-home, home, you know, it's incumbent upon us to get dates done right away, even if it's two years out. You know, if we're scheduling a home-and-home home that's two years out, we'll work to lock in the dates now, and then we'll schedule around that. But And then traditionally, when you look at those high-profile games, let's say nine guarantee games, 
we're playing those games on weekends and we've had a flexibility over the years. You know, look, the NBA doesn't play on Saturday afternoon, so that's an easy hold for us. Now, if the evening becomes available, which could be the case in, in future years, you know, we'll get a second hold on that from the building. That's, that is in effect our relationship with the building is we are the, we are the second, we'll, we'll get a second hold on any date we need behind an NBA date. And, and to your point, you don't have to, um, you don't have to deal with sort of a changeover. So, you know, when you're talking about the NHL, you can play in the afternoon and the Bucks can play at night. What is the change? I mean, there is a different floor. So how does that work in terms of, I mean, is there, isn't there a different floor or no? Yeah, we have, we have our own floor. The basketball to basketball conversion is the easiest. You know, there's, there's a little bit of a difference in, in uh, fan seating configuration around it, around Bucks games versus our games, but that's an easy one. So Saturday afternoons is really older in, in the time that I've been at Marquette, going on 15 years, has become a default opportunity for us because of the NBA team wanting to play at night. And in the past, um, minor league hockey didn't play in the afternoon. We don't have the challenges that, say, a Villanova could have or a Georgetown could have where they have two professional sports franchises that they're sharing a building with. And so what happens to the Milwaukee Admirals? The Admirals are playing They're playing across the street in the Panther Arena, and they, they actually started there last year. Okay. Um, all right, so let's talk about the schedule. You know, Marquette is a team that I think last season was maybe a couple games away from being the NCAA tournament. You know, I got Marcus Howard as one of the top returning players in the country and a, and a team that I think can challenge near the top of the Big East. What have you done for this non-conference schedule to put Marquette in position, you know, where they can beat at large if you don't win the Big East tournament? Yeah, I think, you know, our schedule's always reflected the realities of our goals, which is to play in the postseason every year in the NCAA tournament. And two, really, what does our roster look like? And I think if you look at our schedule this year, it, it gives you great I think you see that Steve has great confidence in year five and what our roster is like. He's done an incredible job rebuilding our program. Could be happier with the work he's done. And I think he's got a roster right now where he says, okay, let's go out and challenge ourselves. And, and if we if we do things the right way and we, we, we get done in our league what we think we're capable of, I think that translates to pretty good position come March. And so you look at Kansas State and, you know, Wisconsin, we play every year. We got Indiana and the Gavit games. You know, I think, as I understand it, we're going to get Kansas or Tennessee in that that first round game in Brooklyn. So you're looking at maybe the potentially the preseason top team in the country, or certainly a top five team in the country. And uh, we're going to challenge ourselves, but I think our guys are prepared for it. I know our staff is confident about the team we have. And, and again, it's reflected in the reality of what people see. All right. So you just rattle them off. Let's just, Slow down here a little. Uh, <laughs> the Wisconsin game this year is I at can home. rattle them off because I don't have to coach games. Steve no, I know. Real right, but let's just go. So the Wisconsin game is at home. Yeah, Wisconsin at home. Kansas State. Our schedule starts this way. I mean, our first three weeks of our schedule. Yeah, UMBC. UMBC. Yeah, let's start at the beginning. UMBC. UMBC. Then we have one of our uh, preseason NIT games. And then we're at Indiana in the Gavit games. And then we'll have our second preseason NIT home game. And then we go to Brooklyn for those two games, and that's Kansas and Tennessee and Louisville. Uh, we'll come home. We'll play a guarantee game. And then we have uh, Kansas State on the first at the arena, UTEP on the fourth, and then Wisconsin on the eighth at the arena. So that'll be a good that'll be a good week for our guys. That's a good three weeks for our guys, actually. So, yeah, what you just rattled off, you've got uh, you know a team that obviously – Harold, the uh, first ever 16 over one, you know, they'll be, I think, obviously contender in the America East. So decent uh, power rating game. You've got a Kansas State team that uh, went to the Elite Eight. It's got everyone back. They're going to be in contention with Kansas for the Big 12 title. Wisconsin, if they're healthy, will be a top 
Big Ten type team. You know, Tennessee is going to be picked to either finish first or second or third in the SEC. Kansas will be picked either number one in the country or two or three uh, and likely to pick to win the Big 12. Um, You know, so and then Louisville. Uh, even though they were going to be picked a little lower in the ACC, if you were to meet them in some form or fashion, uh, you know they clearly are still always a good power rating team because they're going to play a lot. Yeah, of and, and again, we know we know Coach Mack, and we know they're going to play hard. We know they're going to guard. Right, right. Uh, that team, if we play them, that team's that they'll be better than people think. So before I let you go, Mike, knowing that, and you, no, let's not let's 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 not forget this too, Andy. We play Buffalo after Christmas break, which may be one of the better. Four, three or four teams in our non-conference play. I mean, we're 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 excited to host Buffalo. Of course, they knocked off Arizona, and they're picked to Steve's win the match. As again. excited as as we are, but uh, I, we know that's a really really good team, and uh, we're we're excited to bring them to arena to the arena in the first year. And Nate is a local guy, so that's you know even better. So last, before I let you go, knowing that this was the new, I mean, the, re- the year of the debut of the new arena, um, and this is a great home schedule. Was there added pressure? To make sure you had, you know, these high cro- high profile teams coming through, or did it work? You know, or did it sort of just a coincidence that it happened to be the year where you're hosting Wisconsin? No, it's just a coincidence. I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years with three different coaches, and again, I, I've held my, you know, my talking point around all of this has always been. I think our schedule has always reflected the type of roster we have. Uh, you know, I think we worked a little bit harder because of the first year in the new arena to try to find some connections, whether it's a Buffalo or a UMBC with uh, with the kid Sherburn from Whitefish Bay. You know, we certainly wanted to add a high profile home and home. Uh, we were fortunate to, to have Kansas available, Kansas State available to us. Uh, but I wouldn't say there was any added pressure. Well, Mike, uh, as always, a pleasure talking to you. And I know we uh, keep an eye on Marquette throughout the course of the season. Appreciate it, Andy. Have a great summer. And up next here on March Madness 365, Marquette head coach Steve Wojciechowski. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Marquette head coach Steve Wojciechowski. And uh, Steve, let's start with Marcus Howard because I had him as one of my top 20 returning players in college basketball. Uh, I've been high on Marcus over the past year. I know you are as well. Uh, the one thing that I was really surprised is because everyone declared for the NBA draft, it seemed, and he didn't. Why do you think that is? Well, I agree with you, Andy. I'm high on Marcus as well. You know, he, in two years here at Marquette, he's, he's done some incredible things. And, you know, both on the court and off the court, he's just been a pleasure to coach. Uh, and I think he's still got room to grow. I think at the end of the season when we sat down and discussed you know what he, what he wanted with his you know future in regards to the NBA. Certainly, that's his goal. It's a lot of guys' goals. You know what is the best way to to do that? And uh, you know Marcus and his family and we all talked about it. And you know he, he feels like there's areas of the game that he can get better at that he wanted to focus this summer on on doing that. And um, that was the primary focus, not testing the waters. And so you know he's had a really good off season so far. Um, I think he's going to continue to get better and better, uh, which is saying something for somebody who's accomplished what he's accomplished in a short time here in college. And uh, we'll evaluate those things at the end of every season for guys like Marcus. I just love the maturity uh, in that decision, not even to to bother with the process to be romanced. And a lot of these guys sometimes even know that, they're not going to leave, but they sort of want to just, you know, flirt with the whole thing. Uh, he didn't need to do that. He knew he needed to work on what he needed to work on and, and get right to it. So to that extent, 
in what way can he get better? Well, you know, obviously Marcus has already proven to be an elite scorer uh, at the college level, and I think he's really made a name for himself with his ability to put the ball in the basket, and he can do that in a number of different ways. Uh, you know, I think with Andrew Rousey's graduation, you'll see the ball in his hands more, uh, learning the, the continuing to develop as a, a primary ball handler and, and decision maker. And uh, that's one of the ways that we've talked about uh, him getting better is, is learning to make great decisions with the ball in his hands. And that may mean he doesn't average 20 points a game. And so that's one area he needs to get better. And then defensively, you know, that position, the guard position, at the highest level, people always start with, you know, how good a defender uh, a guy is, and, and, and that's an area that he wants to improve on as well. And I, I think he's going to make great strides in, in all those areas. In terms of this team, you know, you mentioned Rousey gone, but, you know, I felt like you guys were a game or two away from being in the tournament last season. The way this team will look a little bit different Maybe uh, the ball, as you said, a little bit more in his hands, but also maybe more of a distributor. Um, in what way in the spring and summer have you seen so far the, the manner in which this team might look a little bit different last season, but still be able to sort of get over that hump and be a tournament team? Yeah, I think, you know, we've been uh, really good offensively for the past two seasons. I mean, we, you know, any way you measure it, you know, we've been one of the better offensive teams in the country. Obviously, the area we can make the, the greatest jump in is on the defensive end. And, um, you know, our, I think our personnel lends itself to becoming uh, better defensively. I think we're more athletic. I think we're longer, um, really, at, at pretty much every position. And, you know, hopefully that will translate as well as maybe some adjustments to our scheme uh, into being a better defensive team. Uh, our guys have shown an appetite of work. Uh, I think we have a very competitive group, and certainly there's an understanding that uh, if we want to make another jump as a team and a program, uh, we have to we have to have a greater commitment to the defensive end. Who else has stood out so far in the early part of the summer where you can see already some improvement? Well, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we have we had a number of guys banged up at the end of last season, so a few guys haven't participated as much in workouts, but. I think our freshman class of last year, Greg Elliott, Jamal Kane, and Theo John, I think they've all uh, made strides, and, and they're the, the long athletic type of, uh, of players that uh, I think can really impact the game. Uh, so they've been really good. I think the two newcomers uh, to our program that we've had that will play this year, and Brendan Bailey and Joey Hauser, uh, have length, have versatility, uh, really high basketball IQs, and uh, have winning winning personalities. And so, uh, those guys who have been here for the first session of summer school uh, have really done a good job. And we'll have the entire team coming back uh, July 9th, and we'll have our first you know team workout with all the the guys who will be available, and we'll have a better sense of kind of where you know, where things are at at that point. But, uh, you know, I really, I love our guys. I love being around them. I think they represent our program really well. And I think there is a hunger to improve uh, individually and collectively. You know, Villanova has uh, won two national championships in the last uh, three years. Xavier won the league last season. Villanova wins the NCAA, excuse me, the Big East tournament before the NCAA tournament. But this could be an interesting Big East season where I think there's going to be 
a lot of rotation, if you will, uh, within one to ten. I mean, you guys, St. John's, I think Georgetown will be better. Um, a lot of those elite teams lost a lot of veteran players or guys earlier to the NBA draft. How do you see the way this league could shape up here? And there, obviously, we're talking in July, but uh, you know, for next winter. Well, you know, I, for me, in my time in the Big East, the Big East has been so old and experienced. I mean, if you just look at last year. We had three of the, the five most experienced teams in the United States in Providence, Seton Hall, and Xavier. I mean, old and talented and well-coached. And obviously, Villanova's been in the flagship program. Uh, there's been more turnover this offseason, whether it's due to graduation or guys going to the NBA earlier, than there has in any offseason uh, that, that I've experienced in the Big East. And so... Um, there, I think there is more uncertainty going into this season uh, with the Big East and how it's going to play out than there, there has been in any year since I've been at Marquette. Uh, I think the league will still be as competitive as ever. Uh, you know, it's, it, the, the quality of coaching, quality of players is still there. It's just the known quantities from top to bottom, it, it, there's maybe not as many of that as there has been in the past. The schedule. You know, you guys have put together a schedule that, you know, certainly would put yourselves in position to potentially be an NCAA tournament team, uh, you know, even before you get to the Big East, if you can do well with that schedule. You know, when you knew you were going to have this new arena, you know, how much were you hoping that it was going to be the kind of schedule that would certainly lend itself to that? Well, I think the new arena played a part in that. Obviously, we're really excited about the new arena. I think it's uh, a huge win for our program. I think the type of environment that we'll be able to create in the new arena will be uh, will be improved versus the Bradley Center, and the Bradley Center uh, was really good. But the new arena, I think, when, when it's finished and it's almost done, will be the best arena in college or NBA. And so to be able to play in that type of environment is a, is a huge win for our program. I think when you're building a schedule, the, the thing that you have to consider the most, though, is kind of where your team and program's at. And, uh, you know, really, uh, this this year's team, I think, is the most versatile and deepest paired with experience that that I've had since I've been here. You know, I mean, we still, we still only have two seniors, uh, but we've had a lot of young guys that have learned through the fire, whether it's uh, Marcus Howard or Sam Hauser. The freshman last year got a lot of experience. Uh, Matt Held, as a senior, has played a lot in his career. So we, we're not a senior-dominated team, but we are a team that is, you know, has, has played a lot of minutes. And uh, so we wanted to challenge this group, and I think our schedule reflects that, whether it's, you know, opening up with uh, the Destiny Darlings, UMBC, or you know, you, you we're going to play in the preseason NIT and we'll play two of Kansas, Tennessee, or Louisville uh, home games versus Wisconsin, who I think will be much improved and has one of the best players, if not the top post player in the country, in Ethan Happ. Kansas State, who had a great run last year and returns everybody. Buffalo, who returns everybody from a, a, another great run. I mean, we have... Uh, we have challenged ourselves. Uh, we're at Indiana in the Gavit game, so there will be no shortage of tests and challenges that our team will face before we get to the Big East. 
and we hope that prepares us for Big East play, and hopefully, hopefully we can get some quality wins before we step into the Big East. And Steve, before I let you go, you know, this new arena that everyone's raving about for you guys and the Milwaukee Bucks, for those that haven't seen a, you know, a diagram, a mock-up, and who haven't a chance to walk through it the way you have, what will make it one of the best, if not the best, in the country? Well, I mean, it's got all the newest bells and whistles, so all the amenities uh, is terrific. The thing I like about it the most is the way it's set up, the intimacy of the building. It was built for basketball, and, and for those who don't know, the Bradley Center, where we played the last 30 years, initially that building was built for hockey because they wanted to attract the NHL team to Milwaukee. And so, you know, the way a hockey building is situated versus a basketball building is very different. And so the new building, it's much more intimate, which I think will help our players uh, feed off our fans and hopefully our fans feed off our players. So you have that synergy between the people who are rooting for you and the players on the floor. And and uh, I think the new arena lends itself to creating that type of environment. Well, Steve, appreciate it. And uh, people can, of course, check out our uh, our top 20 returning players, where Marcus Howard uh, is one of the top 20 returning players on NCAA.com and all our March Madness social media apps. Uh, I know I can't wait to check out the new arena in Milwaukee and uh, to watch a team that I think is going to be one of the best in the Big East. Appreciate it, Steve. Thanks, Andy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. As always, you can find our podcast wherever you do find your podcast on iTunes, all our NCAA.com platforms. This is a Turner Podcast production. For NCAA.com, I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for listening.